Truth is, I am Iron Man. I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. What is going on? What are you doing? To infinity and beyond! This is the way. The flux capacitor! Was Star Wars the one with the little wizard boy? Chewie, we're home. Avengers! Assemble. Ah, oh, chills. Literal chills. Hello, fans, to United We Fan, the podcast. United with me is my co-host, the nerdy Brian. What's up, Brian? Hey, everyone. We hope our fellow fans enjoyed last week's episode where we took the field to discuss baseball films. On this week's episode, we head to Gotham City to discuss the Dark Knight trilogy. But first, thank you all for uniting with us as we talk about all things fandom. This will be our last week on CKCC Radio. United We Fan will be moving to our own podcast channel, and we hope you continue to unite with us there. Just search United We Fan, and you'll find us. Please continue to support CKCC Radio and the variety of shows they have on the channel to entertain you. Such podcasts as Wrestling Talk Shows, Episode Reviews of The Simpsons, Chris Ranks the Universe, Music Ranking Tracks with Jeff, and many other podcasts. You can check all of us out wherever you listen to your podcasts. Fan thank yous. Nathan, Mr. Dr. Pepper, he gave us a shout out for our Harry Potter episode. He was quite the fan of it that midway through he had to stop and listen to the audiobooks. He was just so inspired by us. So thank you for that. If you have any more fan thank yous, feel free to hit us up. We love hearing it and reading them. In Mark and Brian's World News... I was blessed that they decided to release more of the Target Blacklight Marvel Funkos. And I got my favorite, Mr. Captain America. And I was even able to snag my friend, a Thor one. So I felt pretty special. But of course, they're all gone again. And then let's see, Brian and I, we talked about the Umbrella Academy on the last episode. And we both finished it. Brian, any thoughts? Was it better than season one? Yeah, it was better than season one. I just think some of the stuff that they paid off from season one definitely isn't quote unquote answered, but there's still a lot to come. There's people are still not sure that there's a season three, but I can tell you that there is way too much to pay off. If there's not a season three, I think a lot of people will be disappointed. I agree. I think there has to be a season three. The show is too popular. The fandom is just really strong with it. I know I'll probably be in the minority, but I liked season one more. It just gripped me a lot better for me, a lot more memorable parts. But I think season two definitely took a deeper turn, and I think everyone should definitely watch it. I was entertained. Disney made some waves with a decision when it came to Mulan. Brian, you know what? I'll, I'll let you take this one. What did Disney do with Mulan? Yeah, I could talk about this forever, so I won't. So, Mark, you'll need to keep me in check on here. But the long <laughs> and short of it is Disney has made the decision. Now, they're calling it a one-off with Mulan only. Um, I don't believe that even a little bit. On Labor Day weekend, they're releasing Mulan on what's called Premier Access Disney+, Plus, where it's basically premium video on demand if you think about movies that have come out since the coronavirus came along, like Trolls World Tour or Scoob or something like that, where you pay $20 for a 48-hour rental of that movie. Instead, Disney's doing premiere access through Disney Plus where you pay $30 for Mulan, but you don't have it just for 48 hours. You have it for the length that you keep your Disney Plus subscription. So 
when you think about it, the $30 price tag is a little bit, a little bit steep, but especially for a family of five, like me, Mulan was definitely going to be a movie we were going to go see in theaters. That would have cost me at least $25 if I went on a $5 Tuesday, but it would have cost me anywhere from, from 45 to $65 to go see it. If I wanted to go see it on a Dolby or an IMAX. Uh, so 30 bucks, I'm getting off pretty cheap. Now I don't want movie theaters to be replaced altogether, but the way Disney's doing it, is $30. You have access to it as long as you keep your Disney Plus subscription. I'm excited about it because I don't think movie theaters are going to be a viable option for a long time. I'm really hoping they do something similar with Black Widow. Now on the earnings call, Disney CEO Bob Chapek did say it was a one-off, but there's also an investor day that they're going to be hosting that's going to talk about the future of their business. And the last investor day they had was completely introducing Disney plus. So I do expect that investor day to focus on new ways that Disney's going to, going to move along without movie theaters, or at least a reduction in movie theaters being part of what they do. As someone who loves movie theaters, I hope this is a one-off. I know Disney says it is, but I think it's more, Hey, we're going to test the waters to see financially how this does. Now, as a moviegoer, I don't like it simply because Mulan is a movie that is meant to be seen in theaters. It's going to be epic. It's going to be huge. I've been, I, before Disney started getting really heavy into the live actions, I was like, where's my live action Mulan? I feel it should have come out way before Dumbo, way before the shot for shot remake of Lion King. So I was excited for it. To get it on home viewing, I understand these are hard times. Business-wise, I understand. Movie experience-wise, I don't think it's going to compete. And then for $30, you know, I was not too happy when I heard the price tag. But then when they said unlimited viewing, I was like, okay. But honestly, I might wait for them to just release it on like movies anywhere to purchase or wherever, unless they include Disney plus exclusive special features, then you can talk me into it, but I I'm not quite sure what I'll do yet. Business wise, Disney, I understand movie theater lover in me. I'm kind of still grumpy cat about it. If we're ranking the, the choices, choice one is getting to see it in the movie theater. Choice two for me is getting to see it at home. Choice three is the company sits on it. Yeah. And and that's not really much of an option either. Because even if movie theaters do go back to how they were, yeah. I, just, I just don't see Disney's going to have so many movies coming out in 2021 that they're going to have right. overlap with each other. I just don't think holding on to it really is that much of a viable option anymore. So I'm excited about the, the prospects of it. And the sooner I can see Black Widow, the better. I I will actually probably be really irked if they do it with Black Widow. I think that's another movie theater experience. Honestly, I wouldn't have been mad if they had chose to do it with Jungle Cruise with The Rock. I love The Rock. I love Emily Blunt, but the movie kind of looks like a journey to the center of the earth or some or Jumanji. I wouldn't have been upset if they had released that on Disney Plus and kept Mulan and Black Widow for theaters, but what do I know? In Mark and Brian's world polls, where we take a look at our social media polls, my current one is finding out what everyone's favorite Adam Sandler movie is. <laughs> Shut up! So far, not too many surprises. I have been shocked at the pushback I've gotten for You Don't Mess With Zohan. Um, not doing so well. Those are some very passionate fans, the five that there are. 
Brian, do you have a favorite Adam Sandler movie? For me, this is going to come down to Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. But the way you uh, put some of these matchups together, Mark, I feel like you might put them just up against each other in round two just to mess with me. Stop looking at me, Swan. No, I won't do that. Not intentionally. Um, for me, I still think The Wedding Singer is my favorite. Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday! Eight Crazy Nights. I don't I, I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure, but during the holiday season, I always end up watching Eight Crazy Nights. And let's see, Brian, your recent Mount Rushmore was favorite MCU villain. I'm not going to lie. I had to go and Google all of them. I gave it a Google. And there were quite a bit, ones that I forgot about, ones I was like, oh, yeah, that one. Mine ended up being Loki from... So many, like mainly Thor. He's my brother. He killed 80 people in two days. He's adopted. Killmonger from Black Panther. I think he was robbed of a supporting actor nod. Mysterio Jake Gyllenhaal from Far From Home. I think he's actually one of the few good parts about that movie. And then Thanos. Whoa, Red whoa, Star whoa, whoa. What, what, what? Did you just disparage Far From Home? I don't think it holds up as well just because of the awkward romance in there i i love the mysterio scenes but yeah it just it has not held up as well for me all right not making my cut just missing it is red skull ultron and winter soldier i had a hard time with somebody like winter soldier or wanda maximoff um just because they're no longer villains and i guess right. you could play that same role with loki like is he still a villain uh, I mean, probably the way yeah. he was in, the way he was in Ragnarok, maybe not as much, but I think the Loki we're going to get that jumped from Avengers Endgame to the Loki series that we're going to get on Disney Plus is definitely going to be a villain. Uh, my four were Thanos, who is literally my kid's version of Darth Vader. Like he <laughs> is this generation's movie villain. Uh, Mysterio I had as well, but I... We need to talk about Far From Home another time because that really <laughs> caught me off guard. I just ha I must have a thing for uh, Spider-Man villains because Vulture, Michael Keaton's Vulture from Spider-Man Homecoming. So good. Just the entire surprise they pull off of Peter picking Liz up from the house and her being uh, Liz's dad and that car, that's, that scene in the car on the way to prom is so, or on the way to the Homecoming dance is so just powerful. Just the emotions. I bet you're glad when your old pal Spider-Man showed up in the elevator though. Good old Spider-Man. And then Loki, of course. Some yeah. of the, the big call-outs of ones that were left off was especially Eric Killmonger Stevens from Black Panther. Yeah. Uh, Michael B. Jordan's character. He's a he's a super good villain. I just didn't have room for him. Four is four yeah. is not enough. One more uh one more villain I want to call out that I just I really wish had made my list was Hela from Thor Ragnarok, just Kate Legend's oh. character. She's really, really convincing. She's really good. I like that character. I had such a nerd boy crush when that preview first came out. I already have a crush on Kate Blanchett. And then when I just saw her as the villain, uh, fanboy feels all over. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to blow your mind with Mysterio and Far From Home. Well, maybe who knows? Well, we, I feel like this has to be an episode where we talk about our favorite MCU villains. And maybe we can dive deeper into that or just do a new Spider-Man podcast on that. He was a great villain. Credit to you for at least being able to put one of your favorite villains from a movie you don't care about as much. So good on you. Oh, yeah. I mean, God, I like to see it. Now it's time to turn on the bat signal as we talk about Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Trilogy. Joker, take it away. And here we go.
I feel like it's best we start with ranking the trilogy so that you know how Brian and I see them. So there's only three of them, so this will be pretty easy. Yeah, this was actually really easy for me. The Dark Knight is not only my favorite of this trilogy, but in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Uh, second for me would be Batman Begins. And then pretty far down the list, actually, is, is going to be The Dark Knight Rises. We are on the same page. Dark Knight is easily my number one. But I will say this. When I went back to rewatch Batman Begins for this episode, it went higher in stock for me. It's not that I didn't have like great feelings about it, but I actually really enjoyed it after having not watched it in a long time. Dark Knight Rises, when I first saw it, really didn't like it. Now I'm, I'm good with it, but it's easily the bottom of the three for me. Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, though, is only one of three trilogies to be on IMDb's top 200. We'll get to where they rank once we start talking about the films. But, Brian, can you guess the other two trilogies that are making the list? I know for a fact that the Lord of the Rings trilogy has to be on there. The original three Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy has to be one of them. Correct. And the only other one that belongs is the original trilogy from Star Wars. That's correct. Yep. So if you're wondering what IMDb users think uh, the top three trilogies are, it's the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy, Star Wars, the original trilogy, and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Brian, any thoughts on that? You think all three trilogies belong or... I don't, actually, uh, and I think the one that doesn't belong is the one we're actually discussing. The Dark Knight Rises, I don't, I'm shocked it's rated as high as it is, especially above Batman Begins on that list. I'm, I'm pretty surprised by that. Yeah, Dark Knight Rises is so much higher than Batman Begins, but if you were to tell me that you don't think there's 250 movies that are better than The Dark Knight Rises, I, I would love to have a friendly friendly chat with you on that but i agree the dark knight trilogy not to take away from it it is very well done but does it belong all three eh, i don't agree with that well we'll begin where batman begins ranking at 130 on imdb's top 200 this was a reboot after warner brothers needed they needed to take a break from batman after batman and robin which I will admit is a guilty pleasure that I will happily watch. Batman Begins, I think, was a game changer. I believe Marvel was inspired the direction to take their Marvel Cinematic Universe. Batman Begins played a part in it. And Christopher Nolan even inspired the James Bond franchise to reboot and be maybe a grittier, darker, more realistic tone when they did Casino Royale. It had a huge impact on it and it was a game changer. Batman Begins um, did a lot of a lot of really good things. One of the things they did not do well for me, though, was spoiling Liam Neeson being Ra's al Ghul fairly early on in the proceedings of making this movie. I remember knowing from when I learned about the film that Ra's al Ghul was going to be not who we thought it was originally. And it was pretty easy to kind of put those those two and two things together. But the Batcave in this movie, I love the Batcave. Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne is really good. And in my opinion, Mark, the greatest Alfred we've ever gotten in Michael Caine. I don't even know if I can argue with that. I will admit I did like Alfred from the Tim Burton movies. I did enjoy that Alfred for that storyline. I think Jeremy Irons didn't really get a chance to show us what he could do with Alfred. So I won't argue with that, having a 
Sure, Michael Caine as Alfred, as the best Alfred. I think it's Michael Goff that played the uh, original yes. Alfred that you're talking about. I, I think it's just nostalgia. He was my introduction to Alfred, so I think just the nostalgia is holding on to that for me. I just think Michael Caine, the way he carries himself and just how much command he has of any room that he's in, he's very well respected. Uh, but getting this introduction of Batman wanting to just the way they play out his past life of wanting to kill the man who killed Martha and Thomas Wayne, and the way they introduce the criminal underground, they do a really good job at building up Gotham City to being just as bad as you're supposed to believe Gotham, Gotham City is. I remember this when the movie came out. Everyone was like, wait a minute, the Joker didn't kill Batman's parents? And I just kept <laughs> thinking... Wow, a lot of people have seen the Tim Burton movie. So I was happy that the movie kind of set things a little more comic book. I didn't remember this aspect of it, but the movie actually plays on just how scary Batman is. When you're in that shipyard and people are disappearing and the guy gets pulled into the container and he's showing up out of nowhere, they actually played in there that Batman is meant to be a little scary and intimidating, not just bright colors and bat nipples. He's... He's there to intimidate and scare the criminals. He's Batman. Like, just the what they did and the fact that they cast a little kid as little Bruce Wayne, uh, as hard as it would be, and my dad's name is Bruce, so I feel like I'm allowed to say this, of calling a 10-year-old kid Bruce would be kind of difficult to do. Uh, <laughs> but I I think they, they cast a little kid that looked a lot like Christian Bale. I think they did a good job there. I'm more partial to the Katie Holmes version of Rachel Dawes than I am the Maggie uh, Chalapal version. This is going to be a long topic right here. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. So I remember when Katie Holmes first did it, I was like, oh, man, I don't know about this casting. And I heard names like Sarah Michelle Gellar, where she was considered. And then I heard Rachel McAdams. And I love Rachel McAdams. I think she's a great actress. I would have loved to have seen what she would have done with it. And then when Kitty Holmes passed on The Dark Knight, Rachel McAdams was brought up again and it went to Maggie Gyllenhaal, who I think is a talented actress, but I don't like her portrayal out of the two. I agree with you. I think Kitty Holmes did a better portrayal of the two, but I would have loved to have seen Rachel McAdams in the role. I think she would have owned it. I really prefer Katie Holmes over Maggie Gyllenhaal. That's just kind of my own personal opinion. But Liam Neeson, as he goes by Ducard originally and then Ra's al Ghul later in the movie, I think he does a really good job in the role of of teaching Batman the League of Shadows and, and all that kind of stuff. How Batman defects from the League of Shadows plays off really well. You don't really question any of the storyline there. This film has amazing casting. Liam Neeson is always brilliant. Michael Caine, like you brought up earlier. Morgan Freeman, who should just narrate everything in life. Christian Bale, I, I think he's truly just one of the most amazing actors. Gary Oldman, Killian Murphy, Tom Wilkinson's Rutger Hauer, Ken Watanabe, who I love. He was in... The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise and also Inception. The list goes on and on. You can just tell everyone was excited to do this movie. Bravo to the casting director of this film. I just think the character development um, throughout this this movie is well done. They do a good job at throwing Bruce Wayne right in your face without having to do too much of why why do I believe this guy is going to do the right thing for the city of Gotham. I think the way that they portray Thomas Wayne, you're supposed to take him how his son took him. I don't think you're supposed to take Thomas Wayne at the 
how the entire city viewed him. Um, but they do a, a decent job at balancing the board's reaction with, with Bruce's reactions as to how his dad would have done things. And Bruce is just trying to do right by right by his dad and, and right by the city. Uh, Lucius Fox, the character of Lucius Fox, Michael or uh, Morgan Freeman's character. I really enjoy just everything about him. He introduces actually what is probably all around my favorite Batmobile, just from what it can do. Now, obviously, the Michael Keaton Batmobile is prettier to look at and it's more fun on screen. But hold I up. love I love the Tumblr. Hold up. Hold up. All right. I now, love the Tumblr. Now I need your Mount Rushmore of theatrical so adam west i love your car but we're only going to do the theatrical batmobiles give me your mount rushmore don't give me the whole like oh this one's more practical and all that i want to know brian's overall favorites michael keaton for sure okay the tumbler definitely qualifies i'm having a hard time filling out my mount rushmore mark all i can say is that i do not think robert pattinson's batmobile from the image of the batman that's being filmed will make my top four i don't think that that's going to happen my Mount Rushmore so far for the theatrical Batmobiles, Michael Keaton's, that's on there. The George Clooney one, I love that Batmobile. I don't know why it gets so much hate. I think it's just, uh, it's part of that movie. Hate it. I like I the Ben Affleck, Batfleck, his Batmobile is on mine. And then, I mean, we don't really have too many more. So I guess it comes down to the, do I want the Tumblr or the Batman Forever one? I don't feel the same way about the new Robert Pattinson one. I think it looks pretty epic and cool. I'll wait and see it in action footage. Now, younger me loved the Batman Forever toy car, but I guess I'll put the Tumblr fourth. I wasn't too huge on it. It's not my top three. I think it's really cool, but I love to ride in it. Yeah. Do I think it's perfect for the movie? Yeah. But I'm not as sold on that Bat car. Is it a little bit ludicrous that the uh, motorcycle comes out of it? Yeah, but that's okay. (laughs) That was fun, though. That was fun. One thing I also liked about the movie, they used a lot of models. And if you get a chance, watch the making of this trilogy and how many scenes you'll be surprised are models. Like, for example, in The Dark Knight, when the Batmobile lifts up the one dump truck, that's all models. The Batmobile on the roof, escaping with Rachel and Batman Begins, models. So I love them for going old school with that. We can't talk about the Christopher Nolan trilogy without talking about Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard's score for the Batman trilogy. Sadly, James Newton Howard felt his services weren't needed for The Dark Knight Rises. And I I miss it, me being the score nerd. I missed his contribution to the third one. But I will say I love the Dark Knight album. I love the Batman Begins album. I've definitely, when I've been in a hurry, I'll put on several tracks from the Batman Begins albums. It's great for driving fast, too. Hans Zimmer, James Newton Howard do a great job of coming up with themes. Now, are the themes more memorable than Danny Elfman's? That's hard to argue against Danny Elfman's themes, but I will honestly say Batman has some of the best movie scores. Batman, Batman Returns, great stuff. Even Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. You had a new composer. He did a great job. And then you had the Dark Knight trilogy. And I even loved the themes that we had for Batman vs. Superman. So bravo to the composers. 
think the score that that came out of these, the Batman theme that came out of the Dark Knight ones, is some of the most recognizable superhero music out there. And it's so different. You wouldn't consider it a superhero music if you just heard it. But when you know what it is, it just puts you right back in there. Absolutely. We talked so much about the Dark Knight and how much we love it. Let's get to it. The Dark Knight is on IMDb's top 10. Not only the top 10, but the top five. And I remember at one point it was the number one for a long time. Not anymore. Brian, you want to guess where it is in the top five? Third. Close. It's going to be number four. Knowing that it wasn't the number one for a long time, I thought it was only going to be like second or third. But it dropped down to four, which is still great for where it is because those IMDb fans are, well, they're very passionate. I'll just go with that. But now with The Dark Knight, we move on from Scarecrow to The Joker. Why so serious? Keith Ledger delivers a worthy Oscar performance, so I'm glad he won for that. And then, of course, later in the film, he is joined by Harvey Two-Face Dent. So overall, I think that's what makes the film just so great is the villain stepped up and even Christian Bale's performance stepped up in this one. Having rewatched this movie again fairly recently, it was cool to start the movie again with Scarecrow uh, when Batman's trying to to stop him yet again. And he knows that, hey, this isn't the real Batman. And then he shows up and just all the the copycats and all that kind of stuff. That's a really fun scene. The performance of, of Heath Ledger as the Joker in this movie obviously stole the show. He won an Academy Award for Supporting Actor. Just everything he put into the role of the Joker really came across off screen. It's really just a shame that, that he wasn't able to see it before it premiered. That was heartbreaking. I wish he could have seen how many fans loved his performance so much and are still cosplaying him, have shirts with him on it, tons of tattoos. Heath Ledger, he's sadly no longer with us, but a performance, another one of his performances is going to live on for a very long time. But we're talking about strong performances. Maggie Gyllenhaal. I know we talked about, I talked about it a little earlier. Her performance doesn't match up with Katie Holmes at all. And I don't know if Christopher Nolan was just like, hey, I don't want you to do something similar. But her character, I feel like, is a different person. And just her performance, kind of, I eye roll it here and there with some of her decisions. So I feel like the film is almost perfect and she's one of the weaker points to it the weakest point honestly to me in this movie i really like the story that they tell with harvey dent uh but the the weakest part of the of the storyline for me does involve um, maggie gyllenhaal's rachel dawes character as well is i feel like harvey dent was far more of a successful person and con- of conviction and everything else that him turning into Two-Face full-blown only basically because of the death of Rachel Dawes was a little bit forced for me. I would have loved to see Harvey Dent's story play out maybe even to, into the third movie. And it was a, the way they wrap up the film of turning Batman into the villain so Harvey Dent can remain what they call the White Knight, the, the hero that everybody's looking for. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I don't know, a little bit more nudge for Harvey Dent for me, which, I mean, sounds a little heartless to say. I can see where you're coming from. Reading and then watching a lot of the backstory to this, one thing I read was Chris Nolan had originally planned for Two-Face 
to be set up in the third one with the Joker being involved, but this one to be mainly about the Joker. That obviously kind of got scrapped because at one point Nolan wasn't sure if he wanted to do a third one. I think just a little bit of the unsuredness kind of made them go, you know what, let's have it all in this movie. Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Two-Face, I think he was perfect casting, but that leads me to my other weak point with this film. I personally do not like the CGI face, the Two-Face aspect. I think they could have done great makeup out there with it. I know Christopher Nolan, the genius said it wouldn't have looked right, so they had to go with CGI. But when I first saw it, all I could think about was The Mummy, when (laughs) The Mummy's rebuilding from the Brendan Fraser movies. That's all I could think about. So You uh, you went a little nicer than me. I went Mars Attacks. I can see that too. So, But I think the CGI, I probably wouldn't have gone with that because... The film, I feel like, is so not CGI heavy. And then you bring CGI to this very focal point here. It just didn't work for me. It, it is it is a little bit distracting. But just with how much is playing out from the character who's blackmailing Bruce Wayne, basically. You think that your client, one of the wealthiest, most powerful men in the world, is secretly a vigilante? who spends his nights beating criminals to a pulp with his bare hands. And your plan is to blackmail this person? Good luck. So then getting his life saved and the Joker's going to blow up Gotham General Hospital, like all that kind of stuff. You're so focused on, especially in that scene where the Joker's convincing Harvey Dent that, hey, life isn't all roses and everything else and trying to get him to team up with him. You're so focused on what the Joker's doing and the fact that he's wearing a nurse's outfit. And <laughs> he, I, he's just such a, that performance by Heath Ledger is as good as any performance on screen I've ever seen. And I love when they're in the interrogation room, you first get it, the Joker and Gordon, just these, two very different personalities and then gordon's about to leave and you know the joker makes the joke about good cop bad cop routine and batman appears behind him and then you get this iconic scene between them sitting at a table having a conversation batman and the joker one of the best i think in uh, cinema history when batman's rushing to go save harvey it turns out and He's just telling the guy that he just wants his phone call. Like just all that entire thing, how he manipulates that cop in the interrogation room is just amazing. I still remember when Batman bursts into that room and we see that it's Harvey and not Rachel. You're just like everyone in the theater, just the air went out of the room and you're like, it was so well played. I think this comes down to also just, about her performance, that should be a moment where, like, I felt really stressed and sad with what happened to Rachel, but I felt like had it been maybe a different actress, you know, tears would have been going, heartbreak would have been going, but because it was her, I was like, and the way she was going about it, that part didn't hit me as hard as it could, but still brilliantly told and well done. Yeah, and this is kind of where I go back to the the turn of Harvey Dent being a little bit easy. He's only been dating her for a handful of months. Like, not to say that you can't love somebody immediately and, and everything else, but I'm with you. Just, I wasn't fully convinced of their relationship. I didn't really see the chemistry and the connection there. There's 
the scene where they're leaving the courtroom and Rachel's being flirty with him and she's not acting at all like Rachel from the first movie. So that kind of, I was like, you're two different Rachels. Them at dinner, I didn't see the chemistry personally. I mean, I didn't hate their relationship, but the chemistry, I, yeah. Yeah, but the motorcycle we talked about earlier and just oh, the chase yeah. down, the chase down with the Joker in the in the back of the 18-wheeler when he flips that 18-wheeler that they changed the word laughter to slaughter on is just yeah. gruesomely brutal and it's just it's incredible. Just everything that the Joker does in this movie really really works for me when he lights the pile of money on fire as Alfred says, "Some men just want to watch the world burn." He's just a very convincing villain. I really wish we had gotten to see the full three movie trilogy of him getting to come back in that third one. The chase scene was brilliant when they're playing chicken with Batman on the bat bike. I didn't mind the bat bike bursting out of the car either. But when they're playing chicken, you know, Batman goes under the car and around and all that. You're just like, wow, it's just one of the best action scenes ever. And I know watching this movie, I could tell Christopher Nolan was inspired by the movie Heat with Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Val Kilmer. And if you go back and watch that movie and then watch The Dark Knight, you'll see a lot of inspiration there. This was the first movie that Christopher Nolan actually used IMAX cameras to film. I think there was 18 minutes from this film that was filmed. I think it was the first movie ever filmed with IMAX cameras with the intention of being shown on the full IMAX ratio. And I remember seeing it on opening day in the IMAX. It, it's a gorgeous film to look at. I remember when I saw a movie in IMAX, they previewed the opening scene so that they could get people to go see it in IMAX. Just seeing that whole screen fill up with the bank heist scene and then ending with... I believe... Whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you a stranger. So many goosebumps. Well done, IMAX, and well done, Christopher Nolan. I think it wasn't just a gimmick. It definitely added a lot to it. How did we forget? Talk about the Joker's intro with the, the magic trick in that room full of gangster and gangster <laughs> bosses. How about a magic trick? I'm going to make this pencil disappear. It's, it's gone. Everyone had no idea what was coming, and then bam. I, I love the magic trick scene, just the lack of reverence the Joker has, not only for the government, but also for just the actual organized crime. Just he's the smartest guy in the room, even though he's a little bit crazy, but don't call him that. No, I'm not. I can't go on enough about Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard. Their score should have been nominated for an Oscar. This film should have been nominated for Best Picture, and that's why the Academy changed its rules. But going back to the ending with the ferry boat climax, you have the music. Will they or won't they blow up the other ship? Meanwhile, Batman's trying to fight the Joker. I think it is one of the best climax scenes in cinema history with those ferry boats. Every time I watch it, if you're actually watching it, you're locked in. You forget to breathe every time. I know I do. You walk out of that movie theater and for the next half hour, you're thinking, man, what would I do in that situation? Yeah, it's actually very thought provoking as well. Shout out to the cinematographer and Nolan for framing a shot as well. The one where going back to when Rachel um, sadly didn't make it. And you have the firemen putting out the fire and then they kind of like tap each other and look up and there's Batman kind of standing over the rubble. I just think this is one of the best Batman shots ever. Speaking of like 
shots. Good on Christian Bale. That's him standing on top of the Sears Tower, looking down on Gotham City. The Sears Tower, one of the tallest buildings in the world. Woo! So much greatness there. Was there a lot, any, maybe some greatness to end the trilogy with The Dark Knight Rises? IMDb fans have it at number 71, so it's in the top 100. I don't personally agree with that. If you want to put it in the top 250, I'll hear arguments for top 250. But top 100, it, it did not make my cut and wasn't the greatest when I first saw it. It has gotten better over time. You know, maybe one day I'll see what everybody else sees. But for me, it's not in my top three of Batman movies. I think this one was a little a little more interested in being social commentary than it was being a Batman movie. And for a Batman trilogy, I want a little bit more Batman. I did take notice this last time that I watched it. Batman himself does not show up on screen until 46 minutes and 12 seconds into a what is almost three hour movie. Just really? Not enough, just not enough Batman for me. So the bat suit. So Batman, yeah. Batman. Wow. Okay. Batman, Batman. And you spend the first half hour with a bit of what I would consider a forced Catwoman storyline. I don't think Selena Kyle's character was really worth it for me. Anne Hathaway, you don't have to do a lot of twisting my arms to include Anne Hathaway in many things. I just don't think the character of Selena Kyle really worked. I don't think Bruce Wayne, I don't know. They, they, they kind of explain why she was trying to get Bruce Wayne's fingerprints. I mean, they don't kind of explain it. They definitely explain it. I think it's a little bit flimsy. Uh, you do get uh, Ben Mendelsohn in this movie for the first movie that I remember Ben Mendelsohn being in. So he does a pretty good job as, as one of the dirty board members there. I just overall, Catwoman has a lot to do until she doesn't. And then she has a lot to do again. I just don't like Selena Kyle coming and going from the story. Anne Hathaway is an amazing actress. I love her. When she was first brought up to be Catwoman, I was like, all right, I'm good with that. Although, Michelle Pfeiffer, if you're listening, well, thank you for listening. But if you are listening, you're still my Catwoman. But Anne Hathaway, I felt like she did a very good job. Was her character, like you said, was it absolutely needed? I, I'm glad she was in there. But why she was in there... I felt like the development wasn't there without her. I don't know how you tell the story that they told. Like she's pretty integral to the story. I just, it just never, just never really worked for me. I, I mean, this movie has been out long enough. So if you haven't seen it and you're still listening to this episode, thank you. But I'm a small spoiler for the end of the movie. I don't think Bruce Wayne would have ended up with Selena Kyle. Speaking of Selena and would they, or wouldn't they Bruce and her, I, I agree with that. I don't know if those two clicked. Now, Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer and Batman Returns. Oh, my gosh. That ending, you totally could see them both walking away from it. I could see it easily. This one, I'm with you. I don't know if I was quite sold on their romance. Him sacrificing himself for the good of the city, I think, was a really cool way to end it. Now, if we can ever come back to the Christopher Nolan, Gotham City, Christian Bale, Batman later on in life, and this being the way that that happens, maybe I'll, I'll eat my words. But I just think taking away that ultimate sacrifice, I didn't really like it as much with her as a part of it. I think it's fun that they didn't kill off Batman and that Alfred gets his, gets his happy ending. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of a character that just was so underrepresented in this movie, just when they get Alfred to leave and actually Alfred never comes back as the hero really, really bothered me. He just 
abandoned Bruce Wayne, and I know he gave reasons for it, but I really would have loved to see Alfred come back and kind of play hero and say, I told you so, and help kind of save the city. But the fact that we never see Alfred again until the very end, I didn't really like that. Alfred didn't leave. Bruce made him go. When um, he found out about the letter and all that, Bruce (laughs) essentially broke up with him and said, you're fired, go. You know, Alfred went about his way, but it was more Bruce being upset. And obviously, he forgave Alfred there at the end, but yeah, it was Bruce who gave him the boot. Talking about some of the new cast, besides Anne Hathaway, we got Marion Coulterd. I really hope I didn't butcher her name. I'm so sorry if I did. You might remember her from the movie Inception. And then you also have Tom Hardy. You may remember him if you're a Spidey Senses or Tingling from Venom. I personally liked Tom Hardy's interpretation of Bane. I, I liked it a lot more than the one we got in Batman and Robin. So I was good with that. And then Miriam, I think she's an amazingly talented actress. Like I said, watch her in Inception. Her deceiving performance in this film is just one of the definite highlights. I think Christopher Nolan got a little bit proud of, I get proud of himself might not be the right way, but just trying to throw the audience off the scent a little bit. You definitely didn't see it coming that she was actually the ultimate bad guy. But what I didn't like is Bane was such a capable villain throughout the movie until she's then revealed. And then Bane becomes very incapable. I, I, Bane completely changes once she kind of shows that she's the mastermind of the whole thing. Agreed. Yeah. Like, you see Bane controlling and running the city and then all of a sudden shuts down with her. So I totally see that. I will say the other thing, the only other thing I don't like about about the character of Bane is the way that he sounds like he's always front and center of the screen. I don't know why the voice of Bane always has to carry like it's almost a narration more than it is the character on screen talking. I know he's got the mask over his face, but I just... I don't enjoy seeing a character 20 feet from the front of the screen, and it sounds like he's standing right in front of me. I know there was a lot of thought and development that went into that ever since the previews premiered, and there, there was a lot of feedback on that. I agree. I don't think they like perfectly nailed the Bane voice. The villain himself, he's very, very frightening. This movie, I think for me, talking about it being a little more social commentary and a little less Batman. It's a little bit too real world scary for me, which is why it didn't really age super well for me. I think that's part of it. It's a really frightening, frightening film and Bane is front and center to that fear. I mean, and we get that Batman versus Bane fight. You get, he says he's just, I'm going to break you. Yeah. You get to see Batman not having the upper hand from start to finish. He's, he got his butt kicked (laughs) and his bat, and his back broken, but not permanently broken? <laughs> Question mark? Yeah, when he gets it straightened out in that in that prison, that was that was okay. pretty interesting. We we gotta talk about that. Am I the <laughs> only one who somehow they sneak him out of a city that's under terrorist control? He's in this prison, learns a lot about himself, gets his back fixed and escapes. And somehow gets back into this no longer in control city. There's just so many head scratchers about that. Like, how did he get out? How did he get back in? Okay, well, he's Batman. You really don't think he can sneak back into the city? And I'm just like, well, I would hope the government has really good control over a city that's taken over hostage. But okay. And then the whole back fixing, I'm like, all right. So it's just a a guy with a strap. 
who fixed his back? I the thing of it, honestly, like I'm okay with most of that. My thing is when Commissioner Gordon is banished out to walk that thing of the ice and he lights the flare and the bat signal on the bridge. It doesn't look anything like a bat. It's just a big giant flame. I wanted it to look more like a bat. <laughs> but seeing Scarecrow come back and actually be the one that runs the 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 sentencing court and banishes everybody, I think that's kind of a fun callback to the original trilogy as well. Uh, but Commissioner Gordon in general, when we talk about gripes from this film, I have two more. And the first is Commissioner Gordon being banished to a hospital bed for most of the film. Either A, Bane wanted him dead and he wouldn't have let him stay in a hospital bed. Or B, why wasn't he a little more hidden? Um, <laughs> and and two, I, don't, I do not enjoy the whole Joseph Gordon-Levitt character as the Robin Easter egg. I didn't like that. I I just I didn't need that. Yeah, I will admit I felt like Gary Oldman wasn't used to the fullest in this movie. A brilliant Oscar-winning actor, and I'm I don't I'm not sure why he would want to carry that note with him. Oh well, it's been on his mind, and he just wants to be set free of the guilt. Okay, well, it pr obviously it didn't work out him carrying that note because it created more havoc. But the city turns on Commissioner Gordon way too easily just because of that note too. Like I, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to connect A with B on that one. I'm with you there. I felt like they turned on him so easily. I did like that scene. I think it was well acted between Christian Bale and Gary Oldman when they're in the hospital. Of course, Christian Bale has a mask on, and it's all kind of interesting i guess it was a throwback to the first time they met batman begins but anyways i like that scene but overall gary oldman was underutilized joseph gordon levitt i i was good with his character i remember i think when the lady goes you should go by your middle name robin i was like okay that's how you're gonna do it all right fine I did like the ending with him like rising up in the Batcave. I thought cinematically that was a cool shot, but it was kind of forced, felt rushed. So I wasn't too big on that. I just don't think his character without the Robin call out was ever really necessary. I, I think everything that he did, Commissioner Gordon could have done not from a hospital bed. I think if they weren't trying to force the Robin thing, I don't think that that character was really necessary at all, other than telling Bruce Wayne hey, your foundation has stopped funding the orphanage. I think that's really the only point that his character served for me for the most part. And that's nothing against him. I think he did a good job. I just think that character just didn't just didn't really fit. You know what? I'm, I'm with you on there. I Now that I think about it, if there was a version without him, I think it still could have easily worked. Brian, tell me if I'm wrong on this. Now, the opening scene to The Dark Knight with the bank robbery, epic, huge. The opening scene for the dark knight rises with the plane i don't think we needed it was it cool yeah epic great action scene oh my god i would have loved to have seen how they filmed it all did we need it i i felt like they went big but it wasn't necessary to have the whole plane being hijacked i guess to show just how capable Bane is. I think showing Bane's capability and the cult following that he has where that one guy is just willing to completely sacrifice himself. But all it did is tie up a loose end from the story of this is why we thought the nuclear physicist was dead and really the nuclear physicist is here because we planted a body with his blood in it. Like, yeah, it was not super necessary. Cool to watch, but not super necessary. That's just it. You literally could have just said, oh, yeah, we... um." We killed the guy. We we or the guy's dead. 
You know, it's like well, one liner. I don't I don't know if we needed it. Was it cool? Yeah, but when you think about it, you go, was it necessary? Yeah, but I mean watching a plane get suspended from midair and then having it wings ripped off was I mean, it's kind of a cool spectacle. And I know I mentioned this earlier with the movie scores. I, I was sad that James Newton Howard wasn't involved in this one. He said he didn't think it was necessary. He might have even felt like a third wheel with just the great relationship that Hans Zimmer has with Nolan. I think we did miss some of his lighter themes. Like he did the Harvey Dent theme. So I, I think we missed him a little bit on that. So the music nerd in me was disappointed about that. But this isn't a um, something that irks me. This is something that frustrates me. To that officer character who decides to shoot Batman's little like pulse gun because of you, everything came crashing down. If you didn't shoot Batman's gun, he could have neutralized the computer that Bane had. Bane would have never bankrupted Bruce and things could have been resolved a lot better. But because of you, you ruined so much, Mr. Officer. Brian, I feel like we can't not talk about the football stadium scene. Just watching the entire city crumble in that ba- that football field, Heinz, that's got to be a cool thing for Heinz Ward to look back on from his football career of getting to yep. outrun that entire that entire thing. I know Christopher Nolan's a big Steelers fan, so that was the the stadium and all that kind of stuff. The football scene and just that speech he gives, just it's it's very very frightening. The national law is in effect. Return to your homes. Hold your families close. And wait. You've never seen anything like it, and I think that's what made the scene so great. Well, that's all we have on the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy, but if you're interested in Batman history and you want to check out a Hulu documentary, I highly recommend Batman and Bill. It takes a very deep dive into the history how Bill Finger co-created Batman with Bob Kane, And sadly, he did not get to enjoy the heights of Batman because Bob Kane took a lot, most all of the credit. So check it out. It is a very interesting documentary, one that will change how you look at Bob Kane and Batman. That concludes our episode on the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy. We hope you enjoyed taking this trip to Gotham City with us. We know we enjoyed flashing the bat signal for it. Next week on UWF. Brian and I will be on our own new podcast channel, so tune in as we launch with an episode about the misfits of the universe, the Guardians of the Galaxy. What's that? He says, welcome to the frickin' Guardians of the Galaxy. Only he didn't use frickin'. Thank you, CKCC Radio, for being our home from the start and for over 10 episodes of UWF. Check us out on our new station, as well as supporting the many podcasts of CKCC Radio, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search United We Fan, and you'll find us. Please give us a listen with a rate or review. For those listeners with any comments or questions, drop us a line so we can reply. Brian, tell our listeners how they can message the show and stay up to date on everything UWF. Yeah, absolutely. You can find us on Instagram at United We Fan Podcast, or you can shoot us an email at United We Fan Podcast at gmail.com. Check it out. We even have a link for the Apple Podcasts of the show. So if you need a quick link, we have that there. And also check out the artwork on there. Brian works really hard on it. So give it some love in. I know he'd appreciate it. We'd all appreciate it. It's very good stuff. To United Again fans, don't forget what Alfred's thoughts are on push ups. 
What is the point of all those push-ups if you can't even lift a bloody log? What's the difference between you and me? I'm not wearing hockey pants.